Hello and welcome to the first episode of Don't Change the Subject. My name is Ed Withers and I'm here with... Lorcan. And I know Lorcan. I've known you for many years. Um, we both went to university in Canterbury together. Big up Canterbury. Yes, the Canterbury um, Ghetto. Or the Gehetto, as they say in the middle class circles of Canterbury. That's right. And we didn't actually go to the same university. Um, what, what did you study at uni? Uh, politics and international relations, but I dropped out. I focused too much on having international relations. Um, so, yeah, didn't go well for me. <laughs> well, I was studying um, forensic investigation and I dropped out um, because it wasn't for me. And that's the story for another day. That makes it sound incredibly mysterious. But um, there you go. So that's how you and I know each other, just to give people a little bit of background. Um, and the idea of our little podcast, our little project here, is that we will have a discussion on a weekly basis uh, with each other, with friends, with guests. And we will try and cover a couple of different subjects each time, whatever's been in the news, whatever people are talking about. Um, and the idea behind it is that we will try and cover the subjects without changing the subject, hence the name. And at the moment, I think we'll be not too brave and we won't we won't tell people what the three subjects are. Let's just go through them ourselves because we know what they are. I think I do anyway. Um, and um, the first one that we decided that we were going to have a chat about actually um, was a, a slight Freudian slip or autocorrect. I'm not quite sure what you want to blame it on. But um, you meant to say uh, Tory conference and suggest that we talk about Tory conference. You actually wrote Tory comfortable. And um, I think that there's a slight Freudian slip there because the basic uh, question is, uh, are the Tories comfortable? Uh, uh, <laughs> and I think the obvious answer is no, don't you? Yeah, that's one word for it. Um, I don't know where that came from. It definitely wasn't a Freudian slip. Although I may have been comfortable at the time. Not so comfortable actually watching Liz Truss's speech, though. Um, now, it's a weird moment in time now with the Tories because they've taken it for granted over the last past 12 years that they'd be forever in power. They've not really been worried too much about the opposition. The opposition has made it easy for themselves. Well, now the Tories are actually making their tenure difficult for themselves. And it's not for one of trying. I think there's just, and people see this as well, there's this arrogant. Tory arrogance. Tory arro Tor Tor Can you believe it? It's, it's a strange concept and, and perhaps something that comes from, from 12 years in power, but certainly there does seem to be a certain level of, uh, of arrogance in, in many of the way that the Tories have been speaking recently. Yeah, hubris, that's a good word for it. I mean, I, I thought, I, I, my immediate reaction to, to actually some of my friend's surprise to Truss's speech was that I actually thought she did rather well. I think that that's mainly because I think the bar had been set quite low. So I went into it expecting gaffes. I, I, I was expecting awkward silences. I was expecting robotic um, you know, head movements and all the rest of it. The stuff that we've kind of become used to. But obviously it wasn't an interview, it was a speech. And so there was no kind of uh, adversarial element to it, which is what I don't think Trust does particularly well at. And obviously she was in front of um, a, an adoring crowd or, or a crowd that at least were up for pretending for the um, time being to be adoring. And, 
you know, she didn't, she didn't make any, any huge fuck ups. I mean, and I think I'm so used to anticipating. I mean, you think back to things like Theresa May's conference speech where letters fell off stages, pranksters. I mean, she was literally handed a P45 halfway through her speech. Um, Truss had uh, a couple of Greenpeace protesters stand up and, and make a protest the, with a who voted for this sign. But actually, if anything, I think that that gave her a bit of energy. They'd, certainly the crowd reaction to that. Um, you know, I, I think that she sees herself as us against what she's decided to call this anti-growth coalition, which is stupid in its own. She could have came up with a better it. noun. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know. Um, uh, League of anti-growth. I don't know. All of it sounds lame now that I come to think of it. There's no way of conceiving a neologism that would actually sound good she's just playing the blame game at this point like none of none of that statement made sense and within that well i'm just gonna call it the league of anti-growth now it's just in a stick um she included like everyone uh in effect so lib dems snp greenpeace uh people that wear crocs she didn't but she <laughs> shouldn't um i mean I, I fully support the the league of anti-croc wearers yeah, that's they, they a message I could get behind. Mm. Yeah, um, but no, it was it was quite mad, and it seemed to go down with the Tory faithful. But I was watching it over um, over the last few days, and what I, what really struck me is they have all these politicians walking about, and people start really doorstepping because obviously they're outside. Is it just stepping? Is that what they call it when journalists just put a mic in their face? And he asked them how things are going, how they think things are going. And all of them are like, yeah, she's great. She's doing a wonderful job. No, she's not. Why are you lying to us? Why, why? Like, it's quite blatant that they're, they, they don't believe what they're saying. I mean, the cabinet, cabinet is in revolt. Her polling numbers are the worst of any prime minister or even potential prime minister. They're lower than, she's been lower than Boris Johnson, not been in the job by two weeks. And she's even lower than bloody Jeremy Corbyn of all people. So at his lowest. At yeah. his lowest. Yeah. And they literally painted him as an IRA terrorist. So, you know, <laughs> to go below that threshold is quite significant. But it's just the, the, the mendacity of them saying, Yeah, she's great. No, it's not. You hate that woman. Like, what are you on about? Just be honest. Well, it's it's definitely a a, a, a time of bars being lowered constantly. That's basically what I'm, you know, getting from all of the the, the responses to her. Um, and, you know, yeah, coming out of that conference, I've seen interviews where they were, I think maybe ambushing might be the correct term, these supporters. And there's a whole different mix of them that I've seen from kind of local councillors to cabinet ministers. And, and they, as you say, they're all kind of painfully trying to save face, um, you know, and I, I get that. It, you know, in politics, you kind of, you have to do that. You have to keep up uh, appearances and you have to back your leader. And but it's just so painfully obvious when they're doing it because they think that that's the right thing to be doing rather than they actually support the person. Um, and when's it, when's it all going to come crumbling down? I mean, they've backed themselves into a situation where we've had 
uh, uh, recent leadership election after recent leadership election after can't keep going on like that. They know that if there was another change of leader, it, there's no way that they could get away with not calling a general election. They obviously don't want that looking at the poll results. Um, and so the only option that they appear to have in front of them right now is just smile and try and stay calm and carry on. Well, that's how inconsistent they are. Because when Theresa May took office on David Cameron, she had a vastly different manifesto with different ideas how she wants to go about things, you know, when she was building up to Brexit, etc. And she was just like, oh, well, this is kind of different to what we've done previously. So best have an election to make sure I've got a mandate to do this, which didn't go well for her, obviously. I think that was like Joan Corbyn's best result to date um, in terms of the, the gains that they made. Or the losses. I can't remember. I think it was like he didn't do as badly as I expected. But trust, again, completely different to Johnson's manifesto. I mean, they even want to start fracking. They're talking about cutting benefits, whereas Johnson was for increasing benefits or some benefits in line with inflation. It's gone the completely opposite way. But they can't put it to the general vote. They can't put it to the public. They can't get the mandate because they won't get it because they'll lose so for her to go onto that stage with a, I'm trying to think of a different metaphor, but I can't, with a dick swinging out, like, oh, look at me, I'm great. And no one believed it. Everyone was like, she's fucked up. It's been like a week and she's she, already ruined the economy. She's had to She's had to go a different way no matter what, because obviously with having 12 years of the same conservative um, party in power, each of these conservative leaders have consecutively come in and offered something completely different you know they've they've tried to and they kind of have had to do that in order for people to kind of say well let's give this a go let's try this because if they come in and you know would said well we're still the conservative party and you're not going to get any change that's when people i think will want a general election even more so boris came in and it was all about Brexit and you know getting Brexit done um and then obviously the pandemic happened and everyone temporarily forgot about that and he was given a reprieve and eventually that reprieve ran out um and trust has had to come in and and say something different and stir the pot because I guess they've got two choices to avoid a general election they either um stick with the status quo um but you know that is clearly not going to go down well with people when things are so uh, critical, um, or they make massive changes. Um, and equally, that's not going to go down well with people unless those changes are, you know, even widely accepted. And the the thing that Truss and um, Kamikaze Karting um, have been decided to go for is this kind of shift in economics um, and economic policy. And that's that's where it gets even wilder, because although they had to do the U-turn on the uh, tax cuts for the for the wealthiest, because they just didn't budget for it and everyone saw through it, like, these aren't funded. That's uh, something called shit to hit the fan. And it did quite promptly in the markets. But they're saying now they may stick to their guns still and they may alter the rate of tax in the future and the idea is that maybe that will shore up support when we see the benefit of it but that's all bullshit because every qualified economist has said the the country won't see the benefit of this even if there is a benefit until like 10 years time 15 years at best by which point there's already been two general elections 
in all likelihood, Labour would probably reverse those those cuts anyway. So, like, even if I was a Tory strategist, I'd be thinking, what am I doing? How do I make this work? Because, yeah, I don't think she can recover from this because that was that was her like her, her main policy it wasn't about people. It wasn't about improving society. It wasn't about building communities. It wasn't about touching base with your ordinary voter. It was about paying dividends to Tory donors and her wealthy friends. And it was quite acutely clear that was the case. Like you, you, you don't have to be, you don't have to have a load of political acumen to to realise what was happening. And I think most people saw saw it for what it was. So yeah, she punched herself in the face. It was kind of glorious. Don't get me wrong. I love an own yeah. goal. I love the the Schackenfreud. So you say it, I'm terrible at German, but yeah, it was it was yeah. delightful. But at the same time, it's just like, oh my god, we're in the same boat with her. She's the prime minister. No one's really elected yeah. her, and there's no way getting and, rid of and, her. And she's kind of got these these this idea that she's so ideologically driven. I think I've seen some interesting comments from people saying that actually she's not ideologically driven. She's just you know driven by crazy ideas there's no ideology behind them she doesn't understand the ideology behind them she just hears you know suggestions from people she likes and thinks they're a good idea and goes with it at the moment she seems to be ideologically averse to giving people advice on how to save energy um there was this uh story that uh, an, an energy saving uh advice campaign had been uh green lit by um the uh the walking victorian hat stand that is jacob reese the honorable and... member of the steampunk victorian era <laughs> yes that's right yeah um you know who is just one of those people it's mind-boggling how somebody who day-to-day wears a top hat and tails and has a nanny um is is in parliament but on this instance on the, in this case it seems that he's actually you know right side of of the decision that it is a good idea to put out a little bit of advice for people um on how they can save energy during these um upcoming times where we're likely to be facing energy shortages um Liz Truss has said that no, she doesn't want people being nannied. Um, uh, and whether that's a, a dig at Jacob, I don't know, but she doesn't want people being nannied. Um, Sick burn fan. And and um, she she thinks that um, people you know will be able to manage themselves. Now, like I I'm I in part agree with her. Like you know, I think people are adults and people can make their minds up about how they save energy, but there's no harm in it. There's no, there's no harm in taking out a couple of full page ads and, you know, a 20 second, 30 second video um, advert in the break of Corrie um, just to give people a few pointers and remind people that it can actually make quite a difference if you only boil the right amount of water for a cup of tea and stuff. And I just think that if she's that ideologically driven that she thinks um, she needs to ban helpful advertising campaigns. I mean, and this isn't exactly, there was one cabinet minister this week suggested that uh, there should be um, incentives for people to have more babies. And it's like, you've got on the one hand, a government saying that we, we don't want to tell people how to save 50 quid a month on their energy bill but we should be telling them how many babies they should be having i think you know that just goes to show how there's nothing to do with the ideology and just everything to do with whatever they think up on the moment that they're thinking well i heard a really good um some phrase it really well the other day 
when they said uh, Liz Truss puts or prioritizes the strapline above the breadline. So they say she's very ideological um, and uh, that's where she's going with it. Doesn't really think about the pragmatics. They said, oh, she's like an A-level politics student who has all the theory and all the uh, Ayn Rand philosophy and all that kind of jazz, all that pseudo-intellectual bullshit. And she's just walked through the door, gone, oh, let's do this. Yay, this is wild. And reality hit pretty pretty quickly. But with the, I mean, with that whole initiative to provide all this media coverage to ways of saving money on energy, like I'm in two minds about it in so far that, yes, it would. It sounds like a lot of money, 14 million. Um but in terms of actual cost savings that would result in, they're quite significant. So it's value for money in that sense. I think her her reticence was in speaking or treating people like morons. And I have to give credit to her because, you know, that seems quite thoughtful. Some people feel that the state does a lot of talking to them, especially post-COVID when we had all those, the whole, the whole nudge psychology and, in behaviour psychology, uh, trying to discourage people from socialising, etc., and the whole dictatorial yeah. set of rules yeah. that we had, and and trying to scare people into it. Yeah, exactly. But the, the thing is, I'm also very conscious of the fact that although the state doesn't want to be seen to to talk to people as if they're morons, there are still a lot of morons in the country. So you know, we do have to be considerate <laughs> of all <laughs> of all parties involved and all people. Uh, but no, it's, 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 it's pretty wild. Um, but I think it's something that could probably be picked up by Martin Lewis. Newspapers can do it. Anyone can do it. I, I don't, I, I understand there's always, a, there's always this group of people who will say, oh, some people don't have access to this and some people don't have access to that. But a lot of it is just common sense. And if there are tips, they'll be published because websites will want, will want the clickbait. Newspapers will, want to have a nice spread at the weekend to get people engaged, you name it. So I don't think it yeah. really needs a campaign book. Well, I, I think that's a fair point. But where's the comms then? Where's the where's the fact that, she, you know, that wasn't what came out of Downing Street when this plan was put to one side? That what was, what was put out there was not a, a line along the message of, look, we, we don't want to patronise you, but, you know, it came out in a way that almost suggested that we didn't need to save energy. That You know, she she was quoted during the hustings um, for the leadership campaign. I think it was um, Nick Ferrari who asked her um, a straight question of, will there be um, blackouts or energy rationing during, um, you know, the upcoming winter? And her response was that she said categorically no, which, you know, for on, on is a ridiculous answer anyway, because how can you make a promise on something which is completely out of your hands? You know, we import huge amounts of gas, the markets are in turmoil, prices are going up. As they keep reminding us, a, a large amount of the um, effects of that is being caused by things out of the control of the British government. So to answer a question which is basically will there be an impact of things that are completely out of your control with no is just you know seemingly bonkers um and so now we're getting warnings from the national grid um that there is the potential for 1970s style blackouts um and and in order to save energy and i, I mean 
it just is one of those, you know, another moment that uh, we've been having plenty of in recent years of, are we actually in 2022? Like, I mean, when I first heard that, I went straight onto Amazon and bought a box of candles. Um, I didn't even think about it. I was just like, right, the price is going to go up for candles. um, And I want to get a box for my mum and me because... um, you know, if there is going to be blackouts, we want to be prepared. Um, and I just, yeah, I can't believe that it's 2022 and we're even talking about the prospect of, of blackouts. It is pretty mad how we would have gone from Bitcoin as being the great uh, capital to have the great currency to candles. Yeah, tea lights. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be a trader's dream, I'm sure. But I've been stuck um, between two different feelings. So on one side, there's the contrarian that when I heard the news that there's going to be blackouts, I thought, oh, that's just fear-mongering, that's just scaremongering. And then when National Grid came out and said it, it's just like, well, actually, it seems to be pretty evidence-based and so far that this may well happen. So when trusts and the government start saying, it could happen, but it's extremely unlikely. The cynic in me starts to think, it's likely. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's definitely on the cards. So it'll be interesting to see how that actually, uh, how that actually is going to, um, um, you know, happen. Yeah, how it's going to occur. Apparently they've got to give warnings 24 hours in advance. So the fact that well, they've got a whole it... protocol in place it... makes me feel this is going to happen. Yeah. In the 1970s, what they did was they, they gave like a, there was like a 10 second blackout five minutes before the the longer, like nine hour or whatever length blackout was actually planned. So, so you like more code. Yeah, essentially. I mean, one thing that I just can't quite wrap my head around is how blackouts are even a safe and feasible option in 2022 i'm purely from a, a tech point of view right i know what havoc um a power cut plays on my home in terms of um the tech that i have around the house so i know this is totally first world problems but um the router going down causes the cameras to go down causes the wi-fi uh, when the TVs boot back up, they fail booting. You know, there's a lot more technology in our houses than there was in 1970. The idea that you could signal a power cut, impending power cut, by just turning off the electricity for a few seconds. I mean, there, there is equipment in, in people's homes and businesses now which can't handle the electricity being turned on and off like that. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the far more serious side of this, which is um, people who rely on medical devices that are powered. So, you know, my immediate thoughts turn to things like um, people who use breathing apparatus, people who have um, at-home dialysis, um, and and what on earth, uh, you know, fridges and freezers that keep medicines um, at the right temperature. Um, it's not, it's not, you know, rare for people to have to keep medicine, um, at a certain temperature. Most, I think diabetics have to keep insulin, um, at a certain temperature. And obviously the vast majority of fridges these days can handle the power being off for a certain amount of time, but whether or not this is, you know, going to cost lives, I think it will. I think that, that rolling blackouts of, of any nature will cost lives, um, 
because of, of the way the world has changed. It's not a case that people can just huddle around the fireplace and, and sing songs for, for a couple of hours to get them through it. Things are, things are different now and, and blackouts aren't going to be good. You just said the most terrifying thing. The prospects of me ever having to even entertain the idea of me doing that with anyone would, would put me out for sure. I don't know what I'd do. Well, well, it's how they did it, apparently, uh, during the 1970s. Wow. They went round to people's houses and they apparently really united communities. They would um, drink Bovril. Um, I was reading articles I'd be drinking bleach. Who, who, so it's actually yeah. controversial. Too controversial. Warm, <laughs> warm bleach this just to, to see the night through. But it's only um, a 10-second blackout. What are you doing, Lorcan? <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's too late. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I can't possibly um, see how how it could be done. But, you know, this is the decade of being gobsmacked at the things we thought weren't possible a year ago are now happening. Well, I'd like to say um, it's the era of... of unprecedented things but the problem is they are precedented but we the, the precedent was like five decades ago when vera would get in a reliant robin and she'd have to gather coal and wood from the forest to heat up her terrace house and yeah. eat baked beans from the tin like i i don't want to go back to that and you're quite yeah. right like diabetics do keep a lot of their like, all of their insulin for the most part liquid insulin in in the fridge and if that's not a stable temperature, they're pretty screwed there. I've only got bird's eye chicken goujons. I'm fine. They'll they'll last. Yeah. Not sure about insulin. Yeah. It's a dangerous game. And on the subject of uh, electronics, I know it's probably an irrational fear, but if my electricity went out, what if there's a surge of electricity and my Alexa wakes up at 3 a.m. and asks why I was trying to kill her? What if she gains artificial intelligence, yeah. but real artificial intelligence? What if I end up in some kind of robot court a tribunal well, i guess on the on, on the plus side any kind of um rebellion as the robots does w- will require them to have power so perhaps this this maybe has a plus side maybe it will just hold the the the, the what what do they call it the point of singularity just hold that off for now um and and you know artificial intelligence won't be taking us over after all, because of our 1970s style role. She might be our messiah, Liz Truss. She may not have been the hero that we wanted, but she was the one that we needed at the right place (laughs) and the right time. Who knows? Yeah. Um, Another way that um, blackouts could be caused is um, nuclear strikes. Um, And this is the third topic we were going to try and cover. And it's the, uh, the, the impending threat of um putin using his nuclear capability um well in ukraine um which i think is out of the you know the likelihoods of things happening is is more likely than uh an attack on uh british soil or or the states um but i guess anything's possible and i'm not gonna lie i have done a little bit more googling recently on on what the impact of a nuclear strike on London will be. I guess I feel quite fortunate that when I Google these these potential maps of strike locations around the UK, where uh, I am in Canterbury, is is relatively far away from many of the major cities and locations. You're up there near Manchester, which is uh, one of the 
likely targets. So how do you feel about that? This is the first I'm hearing of it, but yeah. Well, it's just a major city. I mean, it's purely just because it's a major city. I don't think it's because Manchester's in particular got anything that threatens Putin, um, unless there is something there. I mean, he's not maybe... been to Piccadilly Gardens. He's not seen the spice heads. We have an army of them ready to go. It's a concrete wall they wanted to take down. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 probably thicker and more controversial than the Berlin Wall. I mean, people have been trying to get rid of it for years, so maybe this is the... It'll we'll get pop, behind it, pop. stand behind it on the on the you know the east side of the wall, um, no, I, and it should protect you. What will actually happen is that I'll hide in a sewer somewhere. When I get a five minute warning, I'll emerge dishevelled and burned to a crisp. And to my horror, that wall will still be standing. Uh, I encourage anyone who's not seen it to watch this film called Freds that was produced in the 1980s. Oh God, that's a fun watch. It is an amazing watch. I mean, it's horrifying. The, you know, I, the, the kind of uh, special effects aren't brilliant, but it really captures the suspense and the pure unadulterated terror of what nuclear war would actually be like practically and, I mean, and realistically. I've never watched it all the way through, but it, basically at the end, don't doesn't everybody just end up working the land? Like everyone just ends up working in fields again? Yes. So I think based on the technology at the time in terms of what nuclear warheads are capable of and based on a very moderate impact scenario insofar that there's a few that go off, I think. So it's not the whole planet, but it's a few major cities. It results in a nuclear winter uh, the initial bit of it is, was also horrific. I won't, you know, ruin it for anyone. Well, not really ruin it. I mean, it just objectively would be horrific. Uh, yeah. But by the end of it... Spoiler alert, nuclear blast is not nice. Spoiler the kind of deadly guys. But yeah, you're right. So there's a nuclear winter. And what happens is that over time, because of radiation, because of these this compounded effects on the environment and ecological effects, etc., people are reduced to the size of the medieval population. Um, so yeah, it's a rough watch, but it's brilliant. But like, the I think the most significant portion, the most significant factor that may actually precipitate this this attack, allegedly has just happened which was the assault on the bridge connecting Crimea, Crimea to Russia. So that's what everyone's quite anxious about at the minute. And this bridge was Putin's kind of vanity project, his his pet project. He was there at the opening of the bridge in 2014, I think it was. Um, and, you know, so it's going to have, uh, you know, <laughs> understatement, it's going to very much have upset him to see this happened. Um I thought it was quite quite bold of them to describe this as terrorism that when they've um been you know what what they've been doing in Ukraine um raping killing um bombing schools and villages and you know a bridge is blown up and all of a sudden well that's terrorism but um yeah it certainly is a bit of a harbinger of 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 something um well what's truly insane is that there's even a conversation about this I mean the rhetoric from the get go when he invaded by any legitimate pretext, uh, they were saying, oh, we're liberating the place from Nazis. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's quite 180 to go from we're liberating the country from the Nazis to we're going to nuke the people we're trying to liberate. Like, if traditionally speaking, if you want to save some people, you don't destroy them. So it's, um, it's going to be a, a, a shocking... Um... Uh, development if that happens but um on that note 
on on the cheery note of potential nuclear uh, uh, strikes um, we will uh, say goodbye to you thank you very much for listening um, and we'll hopefully be back with you next Sunday farewell <laughs> <laughs>